Good morning, my dear friends at Tri-Valley. It's a joy and honor to step in for Jacob today. I know you'd love to have him here, but I'm also glad that he has a little time away as he and Lisa welcome their new child. I have to say I've rarely known a minister who took church growth more seriously and literally <laughs> than Jacob and Lisa have. And every time I see them with their children, I think, now that is the kind of joy a child ought to come into. So I'm thankful today to be able to step in and have a moment with you. A couple things in the beginning. First of all, I'm about to lead a new program at Pepperdine called Restoration Initiative. I wrote a grant for the Lilly Endowment and we were recipients of that grant focusing on the renewal of Churches of Christ on the West Coast. So year one is 2022, and we're going to begin in the Bay Area with seven Churches of Christ coming together, the leaders of those churches. And I wanna to say to the leaders of Tri-Valley, I'm so thankful you made that commitment. And I'm looking forward to the time that we'll have together throughout the year. Uh, the second thing is, I'm gonna put on my Pepperdine uh, Bible lectureship hat for a little bit, the director of Harbor. Uh, in 2020, we, of course, we had the disappointment of, of having to make some adjustments because of COVID. 2021, the same thing. We had to go online with both of those. But I am counting on finally getting back to an on-campus experience for Harbor, May 3 through 6 in 2022. The theme is No Other Jesus because you think about the problems facing the church today, and it may well be the deepest problem is the one Paul faced. All the way through First and Second Corinthians, you flip through problem after problem after problem, but at the end of Second Corinthians, he finally says it baldly, don't let anyone preach another Jesus. As believers in Jesus Christ, we know that we have to get that story right. But so much more than that theme. There'll be fellowship, worship, whether indoors or outdoors, we'll have to see what it's like when we get there. But we're going to meet on the, uh, on the Malibu campus. Sorry, I'm filming in Abilene today. Uh, we're going to meet on the Malibu campus, and I'd love for many of you to be there May 3 through 6. Our text for this morning comes out of Philippians. There's so many evocative texts in Philippians as we launch a new year. And I want to read one that begins in chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, 
and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Let's pray together. Oh God, as these words of our brother Paul ring in our ears this morning, I pray that you will pour through me the gift of preaching, that these old words may speak afresh to us and call us to a gospeled world, a world where we follow Jesus in a way that is true and filled with love for God and love for neighbors. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. One of my joys at this time in my life is, instead of being a local minister, I get to minister to ministers in much of my time. One of the buddies I've connected with in the last couple of years is a minister in the Northeast. During COVID, as so many people kind of stepped away from the church, Russell found himself having to increase the amount of time he spends in the police force. He had done that some in the past, but now it's grown more and more. But what a joy it is to have this man who has one foot in a world of great need and another foot in a world of great need and as a minister slash chaplain in the police force. He sees so much. Recently, Russell was in an emergency room. They had someone stationed there every evening and it was his turn. A young man came in, barging in, creating a scene, and it was clear that he was drunk. Big, strong man, and Russell quickly found out he was a Marine. So Russell tried to appeal to him based on his ministerial experience, and that had no impact. And then he tried to use the law enforcement side of him and appeal to the man's sense of law and not being thrown in jail. But he was far past that in his inebriation. In the old words of the comedian Ron White, he had the right to remain silent, but he did not have the ability to remain silent. <laughs> Russell's a strong man himself, but this guy's young and ripped. And so Russell called for backup, having no idea that the cop who would show up for backup was another Marine. Russell describes what it was like to see this young man suddenly realize he was in the presence of an older Marine. It was almost as if suddenly he came to his senses. He sobered up on the spot. And my buddy realized that Semper Fi isn't just short for Semper Fidelis, always faithful. But it's a way of life. It's a way of life, a way that's got stories. It's full of expectations and a kind of community where in the presence of a fellow Marine, he knew he couldn't keep going down this road. I thought of that story in this passage of, of Philippians because Paul's first command in Philippians is chapter 1 and verse 27, and that is to conduct yourselves as citizens of a new world. Now, it doesn't always get translated that way, but we know in chapter 3 and verse 20, he says your citizenship is in heaven, and it's, it's about the same Greek word 
that Paul uses here in a verb form to say you're citizens of a different place. We have our own version of Semper Fi for the Marines. We've got this expectation that we've been called into a new culture. We have a new identity. We're citizens of heaven. We're not primarily American citizens. You're not primarily citizens of California. You are primarily, first and foremost, people who've been called into the way of Jesus. That's the great allegiance of our lives. Now, of course, we've got other worlds we live in as well, but that's the primary one. First and foremost, I pledge allegiance to the way of Jesus Christ. I trust him for the ethics of the kingdom. I watch him, I listen to him, I serve him. And as Paul says in the rest of that opening paragraph, that citizenship, that kingdom comes with enemies. But Paul says, don't be surprised. You're filling up the sufferings of Christ. And I notice kind of an odd phrase. Paul says, it's been granted to you. It's been gifted to you by God, not just to believe, but to suffer. Okay, Paul's already thinking in very different ways than we think today. He's not looking for an ease of life. He's not looking for happy experience after happy experience after happy experience. No, he's thinking passionately about following Jesus. And he knows that there's even something about joining Jesus in those sufferings that helps form a person. But he says, in that opposition, one thing we have to make sure, and that is that we stand firm in one spirit. We've got to strive together as one. You can't break ranks. You can't have a church going a thousand different ways and fighting with each other. No. And so then we come to chapter two of Philippians. And the first word we need is the word therefore, which is Paul pointing upwards pointing up to where he's just told us, you've got to live as citizens of this new world. So what does it look like to flesh out that new way? And that's where you find out that unity is the culture of this new way. Therefore, it's pointing to what's above. Live in a manner that accurately portrays the one you're following. It's what Paul finds himself doing again and again and again in his letters with these little beachheads of the kingdom scattered around the Mediterranean, calling them to be one, calling them to be united. Paul's not primarily a priest there listening to their guilty confessions. He's a missionary pastor trying to get people to come together, all of these divergent groups. He's thinking through what it means to be united in Christ. And so he says, if you have, and then he mentions five things, if you have any encouragement, any comfort, any common sharing, any tenderness, any compassion, well, this is God's story. And so I'm pretty sure that people listening to Paul in the Philippian church would say, well, of course, Paul, we have experienced that. Again and again, we've received encouragement and comfort common sharing of the spirit, tenderness and compassion. So Paul says, okay, if you've had that, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, being one in mind. Listen, Paul is not driving for uniformity. 
just nearly any organization can demand uniformity. No, he's going for something much deeper, much richer, and much more beautiful when it's lived out. And that's unity. And uniformity, everybody's got to line up. And the next thing you know, it's like we're trying to clone ourselves and others. But in unity, we take people who maybe are from different walks of life, maybe have come to the gospel differently, maybe think about things differently, maybe vote differently, maybe like different kinds of worship styles. And as one, we set our hearts on something much larger and noble, and that is the inbreaking of God into this world through Jesus Christ. Make my joy complete, he says. And then all of that language about not being self-centered, about not being conceited, about being humble. Could there be any more counter-cultural text in our world today? With all of the divisions that came over an election and over COVID protocols and on churches gathering and then not gathering and then gathering again. We were set up for that because of our Western values where my individual rights and my personal preferences take priority over everything rather than living, as Paul says, the gospel calls for in the interests of others. No, and all of that's exacerbated today because of social media or maybe better called anti-social media. Because in the anti-social media, there's a zero-sum game. I want to be right and I want you to be wrong. I want to win, I want you to lose. You're not looking for ways to live together. And so you start gravitating toward people who watch the same news channels you do and agree with what you think already. And it spills over into churches. People then leave their churches for another place where everybody seems to be uniform in how they understand all of this. Paul's calling on people to remain in these bodies and learn to love one another. And maybe the key to it all is where he says you do it in humility. In humility is where I realize that I am not the gold standard. You, you don't want to look to me as the final arbiter of the way you're supposed to do everything. My worship preferences aren't the only worship preferences. My understanding of some passages are not the only understandings of those passages. In psychology, it's called illusory superiority. The illusion that I understand everything better than others. The illusion that I'm doing things better than others. I prefer to call it the Lake Wobegon effect. Some of you who remember Garrison Keillor's imaginary town in Minnesota where all the women are strong and all the men are good looking and all the children are above average. You know, that's not possible. But that's what happens with this illusion of superiority is we get to thinking that we do all of this better than others. Study after study shows the Lake Wobegon effect is out there. People think that they're better than average on financial decisions, on parenting, on reading people, on driving. Did you know consistently 80% of the people out there driving think they're better than average? Everyone out there on those highways around, around Dry Valley, they, they think they're better than average. But in humility, 
I realize I've got my own faults and my shortcomings. I realize already I've adapted my way of thinking about some things, and there'll probably be more. I'm not the gold standard. Jesus is. So in humility, we think of others above ourselves. Because we're creating a world that's unlike the culture around us. We're creating one where the gospel matters, where we're conducting ourselves in a way that fits the story of Jesus. And at that point, I want to back up and think about what Paul's doing here. Well, first of all, there's a level where Paul's talking about conduct. Now, some Christians get stuck there and they think that's all he's doing. It's how you act, how you live, and that matters to Paul. You conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. It has to fit the truth of the gospel. But beneath the level of conduct, Paul's concerned about mindset, about the way we're learning to think. His word for mind permeates the book of Philippians. It's there again and again. And when you come to this passage, you realize it's a kind of Copernican revolution. Have you ever wondered back when Copernicus lived, how could anybody disagree with him? Because obviously the earth is not moving. We thought back at the time. The sun is moving. And just think about it. I, I throw a ball off. It doesn't go flying back there. The earth's staying still. The sun's moving. I look in the morning and there's the sun rising in the east. So I call it a sunrise. And I look in the evening and the sun's moving. It's setting down. It's a sunset. Of course Copernicus is wrong. It seems clear that everything is moving around the earth. But Copernicus looks and he says, you know, it's not true. It's not true, we're the ones moving. And now we know that's true. We know that about where we stand on the earth, we're moving 900 miles an hour as we rotate around the center of the earth. And only that, but the earth we're on is moving 66,000 miles an hour around the sun. And the sun and its solar system is moving 355,000 miles an hour around the Milky Way galaxy. And who knows how fast the Milky Way galaxy is moving through the whole universe. Copernicus was absolutely true. It just doesn't seem like it. It was a Copernican revolution confirmed later by Galileo and then many, many others. But our world today needs a Copernican revolution because we still think it all revolves around me. We still have that kind of heliocentric view of the world where I'm at the center and the world revolves around me. It receives my views of passages and my desire for the youth program and my, my, my. It's like the old George Harrison song, I me mine, I me mine, I me mine. So we take our selfies and then we take our selfies emotionally, and then we take our selfies, selfies politically, and we become polarized. People move into corners, and the next thing you know, the culture of venom, suspicion, and contempt spills into the church. But the good news for Tri-Valley this morning, my friends, is it does not have to be that way because we've been called into a new way of thinking. So beneath 
the conduct is a mindset. But listen, that's not all. Behind the mindset, there are stories. All the way through Philippians, you get stories of people who embody this new way. Later in chapter 2, he'll talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus. They're examples of people who lived for others. Paul says explicitly about them. I've got nobody like that who lives for others, not themselves. And in fact, if you go back earlier in Philippians 1, read that later. From verses 12 to 26, Paul talks about his experience. And what you realize is he himself is modeling a selfless way. In chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, you see that all he cares about is the progress of the gospel. And he finds joy in that. And then in the last part of that, in verses 19 to 26, you find out he cares about the progress of others. And he finds joy in that. Back and forth, the gospel and others and gospel and others. Joy after joy for Paul in that world, though it's full of suffering. But now for his joy to be complete, they need to join him. We need to join him in a way that embodies the story of Jesus, which by the way, is the fourth level. The conduct we're called to, the mindset we're called to, the stories that embody it, but beneath that rock bottom, undergirding it all is the story. Not just stories, but the story. Which is why we get to what many New Testament scholars now call Paul's master story, Philippians 2. Verses 5 to 11, where he says to have the mindset in you that was in Christ, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. And then he just phrase after phrase pours out of Paul. He came and he humbled himself and he became a servant and he, he died on a cross and he was raised from the dead. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. But that's what it's all anchored in this story. It matters that we get the right Jesus. He wasn't Zeus heading to the top of Mount Olympus. He was Jesus. Born of the Virgin Mary among the poor of the land who gave his life on a cross and was raised on the third day by his father. That's the story. Well, I'm just imagining what it could mean for 2022 if Tri-Valley learned more and more to live this out, if prayerfully we entered into this way where we're not so much condemning the culture as we are just embodying a new way of life. Loving people, receiving people who have also been baptized into Jesus. Finally, this morning, I want to point you to Philippians 3.17 where Paul says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. What an exciting thing it would be this week to let your mind wander back to all of those you've known in your life. Fathers, mothers, grandparents, leaders of your church, or maybe just quiet servants in your church, but those you know whose lives exemplify this very way of life. 
Paul says, keep an eye on them. It, it could be somebody teaching in the nursery. It could be somebody mowing the lawn. It could well be your minister and his spouse as they come back from this birth experience. But keep your eyes peeled. Honor them. But more than honoring them, Paul says, now you know about how to shape your life into the way of Jesus Christ. So that's our goal for the year, to conduct ourselves in a manner that fits the gospel. Go, my friends, and embody the way of Jesus. Amen.